Thank you for joining our podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. Stay tuned as together we'll study God's Word. Good morning, PCC. Have a seat. I'm Brian Wren, your transition lead pastor. It's so, so good to be with you as we kick off the Advent season. If you're new to us or online and you're like, what does that word Advent mean? It just means preparation or the coming. And that's what we're doing. Uh, We are preparing for the second coming of Jesus, and we're celebrating that by remembering the first coming of Jesus. And that's what Advent's all about. As we kick off Advent, I have a question for you, and that is, what are your favorite songs in the Christmas season? So a few people called out. What are your favorite songs in the Christmas season? What was that one? More Mary's boy child. Somebody else. Oh, come on, faithful. Who else? Oh, holy, night. oh, holy night. Yes. Come on. Joy to the world. A little town of Bethlehem. And isn't it interesting? We have each a song that makes this season meaningful in some way, in some way. When I think about it, there's a bunch of songs uh, that I know as a kid that I sang, and a lot of times I didn't even know what they meant. And so part of Advent is actually just retelling the story, re-getting to the depth of meaning, whether it's in song or in scripture. And for example, so I think most of us probably know the song, Angels We Have Heard on High. All right, let me, give you, let me give you some of it, all right? Because as a kid, it was before PowerPoint, and I'm not even sure they gave me a hymn book back then, but it went like this. Angels we have heard on high, sweetly singing over their plains, and the mountains in reply, echoing their, what, their joyous strains. And then it went into the refrain. And most of us know this. Sing it with me if you know it. Glory. Come on, don't leave me hanging. Oh, Gloria in excelsis Deo. All right, hold right there. That was actually pretty good. But it was interesting, so I would sing that, and the Gloria part I got, but I would get a little confused around the Excelsis Deo part, and as a kid, I thought I was singing something about Easter, in eggshells to Deo, all right? In eggshells to Deo, all right? And so we need to get some of this right and remember what it's really, really about. Because that line in that song is not about eggs, okay? And that line that's in Latin there, we don't even understand what it says, but what it's declaring is this, is glory to God in the highest. Amen? Yeah, glory to God in the highest. And so many of these songs are just coming from down low here on earth to praise God on high in the heavens in a powerful, powerful way. So we need to get those right and re-understand that. And that's what we're doing in Advent. In Advent, we're preparing for the coming of Jesus' birth and looking in anticipation of his future coming. We, in our theme uh, during this season, it's Together We Sing. We're calling it Together We Sing because we're holding to our macro theme of Together We Are PCC. And we know we love to sing, and singing's a part of Christmas, but we want to allow these songs to point us to the Savior. Because what we're trying to restore up here is the awe and the wonder of this season that easily gets lost amongst the hustle and bustle. And when there's words like that Jesus brings hope, and he brings peace, and he brings love, and he brings joy, and he brings light and faith... 
We're trying to actually rekindle those. So each week, we'll look at a song and look at one of the powerful texts it points to. And let's look at the first one. This first one this week, we just sang it. It's the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Now imagine that song has changed a little from the way that it's sung right now this morning and even how we sung it in the traditions gathering. Two very, very different versions. But imagine when it was first sung. Anybody guess how long ago? It was the 8th and ninth century. And it was sung by monks. I, I guarantee you it was not in this way, all right, that we sang it this morning. And it was sung as a Gregorian chant. And they knew it was special. And so each day they would only sing one of the verses. There were seven in total. We sang maybe not all of them. But they would just sing one of them back and forth to each other. To what? To remind themselves of the goodness and greatness of God during that season. Now, what happened is, by really the 19th century, there was an Anglican priest named uh, John Mason Neal, who you're looking at there, and he translated it. He translated it into the song we know today. He translated actually out of the Greek, and it became this popular song that we all know today. This song, I want you to look at the lyrics. You'll see them on the screen. They're familiar to you just because we know the season, but look what it says. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. This song is singing about a captive Israel that's been taken out of their land, and they need what? They need a rescuer. They need one who is greater. They need a savior. And cannot we say the same today? Don't we all, in specific situations, need to be freed, need to be released from whatever might have us captive And don't we all need a God who is what? Emmanuel, the God who is with us. And this prophecy then points, or excuse me, this this song points specifically to a prophecy of long ago that was declared that one would come with that name, Emmanuel. Now, don't get confused. Sometimes we have Emmanuel with an E, right? And sometimes we have Emmanuel with an I. And you go, "Who's, who's getting this spelling wrong? Well, it's all about translation. Let's get that cleared up since we're clearing some stuff up here. When it shows up as an I, all that means it was translated out of the Hebrew and it ends up looking like an I. When it's translated out of the Greek, think Greek. There's two E's in Greek. You'll remember this now. It shows up as an E in that way. And so this passage actually points us to this prophecy. Open up your Bibles. And I want to show you the profound prophecy that was fulfilled in Isaiah 7.14. So open up your Bibles to Isaiah 7.14. If you're new or didn't bring your Bible or you just want to feel the text, open, grab your pew Bible and open up to page 686. Page 686. Isaiah 7.14. As we read this, may the awe and wonder begin to stir in you again about the profound story that we get to participate in. Hear these words, Isaiah 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. 
Let's hear that again. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you what? A sign. God was always about giving signs and wonders to his people to believe. Think of it today. He's still wanting to give us signs and wonders. The scripture, the text we have is a sign from him. The wonders of his creation are a sign from him. He's always giving signs and wonders. And back then, he was foreshadowing in this prophecy a future event, a sign that a virgin will conceive and give birth to what? A son. And not just any son, but a son who will be called what? Emmanuel. Now, this would make powerful sense to those at that time and also would create great awe and wonder because they were yearning for a coming Messiah, but at the same time, they did not know how he would come. And the reality that it would be a God who would actually be with them seemed incomprehensible because the God seemed far above them and never to be down low with them. So that would stir great awe and wonder and still us should today that the creator of the earth is actually a God who is with us. Have you thought about that? That the creator of all existence is a God who is willing to be with us and specifically with you and with I. This prophecy was actually fulfilled if you flip to Matthew 123 or look at it on the screen. Here's what it says. Matthew describes what happens in the birth of Jesus and then says, oh my, realize this prophecy was fulfilled. Behold, a virgin shall be with child, says in Matthew 1.23, and shall bring forth what? A son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel. See the E there? Which being interpreted is God with us. Anybody know how long that prophecy took to be fulfilled? Some 800 years. A prophecy is something that is declared. It's foreshadowing a coming event. It's foreshadowing a coming person. And it took 800 years to be fulfilled. This is not unlike the other 250 plus prophecies in the Bible. Have you been told that? And have you been reminded of that? There were some 250 prophecies in the Bible about Jesus. And specifically, some of these prophecies are about his birth. Some of these are about his life. Some of these are about his ministry. Some of these are about his death. And some of these are about his resurrection. Today, I just want to show you five in total specifically about his birth. And then I want you to ponder where are you with your awe and wondering. Because when I tell you that Jesus was prophesied hundreds of years prior to his birth, you have to wrestle with the question, do I believe this? Could this actually be true? And if it is, does that mean there is this macro story that at one point I was born into the history of it and I can participate in it because there is this God named Emmanuel who was with me? That's a good question to ponder. So look at these other prophecies. As you flip quickly to chapter 9 of Isaiah, Isaiah also prophesied again. And you've heard this one before. Many of you have been around this, and maybe it's for the first time. I can remember when I heard this one for the first time. The four ways God has described my reaction is, I want that God in my life. 
Look what it says in Isaiah 9, the same prophet prophesies in Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called what? Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. It goes on to say of all the greatness of his government peace, there will be no end. It will last forever and ever. Here's the interesting part. This is a two-part prophecy. The first part is fulfilled in Jesus' birth. The second part is not fulfilled until when he comes again, and it's declared in Revelation 19.16. There's another prophecy that then gets more specific. Just not a child will be born, but how about this? Here's where the child will be born. This would be like somebody saying, there will be this person named Brian Wren, and he will be born in Cleveland, Ohio. And people would say, oh, no, 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 no. His parents are from Pittsburgh. There is no reason he would be born in Cleveland, Ohio. But for somehow, it would be prophesied based on the fact that they knew that Bob Wren would be transferred, his dad, from Pittsburgh to Cleveland. And then somebody might go on to prophesy, oh, no, no. Besides being born in Cleveland, Ohio, he will then come out of Boston. And people would say, why would one who's really from Pittsburgh end up in Cleveland and then move to Boston? How would they know that he would only be born and for two weeks remain in Cleveland and then his dad would be transferred to Boston for two years? It's crazy that a birth could be predicted in a location. But look what it says in Micah 5.2. This little-known prophet named Micah in this small little book declares at one point this, but you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins, I love this line, whose origins are from old, from ancient times, meaning that this one who has come has existed all along. Because the origins are old from ancient times. That has to stir some awe or wonder in us. Is that true? Can it be so? And then in Matthew 2, 4 to 6, it was fulfilled. It's declared. It's been made known historically. He was born in Bethlehem. But then remember my move from Cleveland to Boston? Jesus had one of those. His dad didn't get transferred. Joseph didn't find a new job and have to go to Egypt. No, he was on the run because remember the Magi went to Herod and they found out that, oh, the baby was born in Bethlehem. And so let's go find the baby, Herod said, and let's get rid of that baby because he's a rival. And so Jesus and his family, actually his dad has a moment where he hears from an angel and says, you've got to get out of here. You've got to get to Egypt. And even that was prophesied about in Hosea 11.1. Look what it says. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. One of my favorite new prophecies about Jesus' birth, I just kind of bumped into it this week, is a prophecy that didn't happen 800 years prior, didn't happen 500 years prior, didn't happen 600 years prior, just like the ones I told you about. This one happened about three to six months prior. And you actually sang about it and didn't even know what you had sung about it because remember, just like I thought it said eggshells, 
There's words that we sing that we don't even know. You sang a term called day spring earlier. Didn't we sing it, Ian? We sang day spring. And you just said it and we gave it to you and you sang it and you didn't care that you said it and sang it. We just, because it's how we do it here. You didn't even know why you were singing day spring. Neither did I until possibly this week. And who even uses the word day spring? If you type in day spring on the internet, you get like a company and they sell something to you. And it's a Christian company, believe it or not, because they know what day spring means. But we have no idea what that means. It's part of the prophecy that came three to six months prior to Jesus' birth. Who was born just before Jesus, three to six months? John the Baptist, his cousin. And who couldn't speak because he lost his voice prior to him being born? His dad, Zachariah. And when Zachariah finally has John the Baptist, he can do nothing but sing about it because he gets his voice back and they realize, that's the name I want to name him and that all comes true in the prophecy in there. But then this is what he says and sings about. If you go to Luke 1, 7, 8, or chapter 1, verse 78, because of God's tender mercy, this is after he sung great praise to God about his, son, his own son being born. He said, but because of God's even greater mercy... The morning light, the day spring that's translated from, the day spring from heaven is about to break on us. It's not just true that my son John has been born, but I, Zachariah, right now am prophesying that there is one greater, the true, true one, the morning light, the one who will bring darkness, who will bring light into darkness, the one who will guide people in truth, the one who will bring the Holy Spirit the morning light, the day spring, will break upon us three months prior. So where are you in believing this? My next question for you is, what makes you doubt or believe these five prophecies? Because there was a moment in my early 20s after I'd come to have my faith awaken in Jesus, I was in a Bible study around this time, and people are talking about prophecy, and I didn't even know what that word meant. Then they were talking about the fulfillment of prophecies, and I was starting to be like, so something that was stated back then came true now. Hmm. So then I took my friend aside who was leading the Bible study later. I'm like, can you tell me about these prophecies? And he says, oh, there's like over 250 of them, and some of them are about his birth, some about his life, his ministry, death, and resurrection. And he said, yeah, these were statements made long ago that actually came true, and they established that Jesus truly is the Messiah. And I looked at him and I went, ooh, this is weird. I don't even know if I want in on this. This got a little too deep for me. And this is about believing old things in the past and hoping they're true in the present. And he said to me, well, okay, let's just talk statistics. And he said, the odds of Jesus just fulfilling eight of those, just eight of the 250, it's really one chance out of 10 to the 17th power, all right? Well, I said to him, I don't understand what 10 to the 17th power even is. And how would you even pronounce that? It's like 10 quadruplet or something. And that doesn't do much for me. And then he said to me, oh, it'd be like if you were in the state of Texas and you put, took 10 to the 17th power amount of coins and scattered them all throughout the state of Texas, and it would fill the state of Texas up to two feet high, and they would cover the entire existence of Texas. 
And Texas is quite large, by the way, isn't it? If you bend Texas at El Paso and flipped it, it would fall into the Pacific Ocean. If you bended it at the hinge at Houston, it would touch the Atlantic Ocean. If you bended it at the northern part of it, it would flip and almost touch Canada. Some of you will look at that on a map later today. <laughs> it's big! And that's a lot of coin! It reminds me of the amount of pumpkin pies that were at Costco over this last week. You could barely move in Costco. Pumpkin pie, pumpkin pie. I thought to myself, they'll never get rid of all these pumpkin pies. Sorry, I digress. But it would be as if, it would be as if you then sent a man and said, there is one coin that's red of all the gold coins that I've laid down two feet high and all around Texas. Good luck finding that. That's the chances of just eight coming true. I've given you five already. And the chances of predicting if someone was born in Bethlehem, the statisticians went after that one too. They looked at the world population back then. They looked at the population of Bethlehem. They did the math. And it's one chance out of 300,000 that you can predict where somebody's born. Remember trying to predict where I was born? They would have chose Pittsburgh and never thought we moved to Boston. No way. The prophecies, and here's the point, The prophecies of the past provide hope for the future. Amen? The prophecies of the past provide us with such great hope for the future. Whatever you're going through this week, there's this greater macro story that I believe in. And there's this great God who created all existence who comes down and wants to be with you. And just like he acted like a rescuer for Israel out of captivity, he wants to do that for us in our own enslavement, in our own sinfulness, in our own confusion during this time. There are words that show up during this time of the Advent season. There's anxiety There's anger. There's anguish. I want to give you an opportunity to exchange those words for awe and acknowledgement. Think about it. During this season, when you're caught up in anguish and anxiety or anger, how you're a breath away from allowing the God of existence to be with you and to change your perspective. And you're a breath away because you could just breathe in. Emmanuel. You could just breathe in. God is with me. I am more and more convinced that the greatest sign and wonder of God's presence in our life is actually our breath. Because that is the first thing he put in us to bring us life. So would you allow that to potentially lead you to awe and wonder versus all those other A words that you'll get caught up in? And maybe it's not your breath, but this is where you need to pick right now. What will you pick? If you're an intellectual, get hog wild about looking at the other prophecies. You can use our resources to be on Sunday. We've listed those. Maybe that's what you need to do. If you're more maybe a contemplative, Go sit and look at something in creation and just let it mess with your wonder. Go for the walk of wonder. If you need to get your heart touched, what favorite song will you play so that it stirs up in you emotion enough where the tear comes because you realize there is something so much more than what I'm just caught up in right now? 
and God is with me. What will it be for you? Because the prophecies of the past provide, oh, such hope for the present. As we close today, I want you to hear this. Remember that song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel? Mm. Sure, it proclaims God is with us, but when you look at the way that it was written, it's written in a seven stanza form. When it was initially written, they first sung about the wisdom of God. You're seeing the Latin terms on the left. Then they sung about the, of Adonai, the God of relationship. And they went on to sing about all those other attributes of God in each different stanza. The last one is when they bellowed out, Emmanuel, God is with us. We switch that now and we sing it first, don't we? And then we sing the others. It's just like something we would do now. It's just, that's just how we are. We gotta get, we're, we're impatient. We've got to get to the good stuff. But here's what's interesting. When you look at this song from the bottom to the top and the acrostic that it forms, Eros Cross. Eros Cross has deep meaning. So the song was not just written to remind us that Emmanuel, God is with us. It was written in that stanza form so that those who really looked in depth at it as we are today would remember this word, Eros Cross, which means I shall be with you into the tomorrows. So this song was not just written to tell us that God is with you now, but the Savior of the world, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, is the God who will be with us into the tomorrows. It's a song of eternity. It's a song of the present. It's a song of the past. Let us pray. Father in heaven, oh, help us. Lord, stir up the awe and wonder. Lord, do a special work here where you lead and guide us in a new way during this season. Give us something that would draw us back to you in the depth. And Lord, when we're caught up in the anger, in the anguish, may awe calm us, amaze us. Lord, if we're wrestling right now, and being apprehensive about this is all true, Lord, I ask that you would help our unbelief. It's an honest place to be. And Lord, give us a moment right now, and I want to give you all a moment right now. If you'd like to acknowledge that Jesus has come for you, simply just do that. God, thank you that you're Emmanuel who came for me. If you're wrestling with it, tell God you're wrestling with it. If you're in utter awe, just sit there in amazement. But this is your moment right now. Do you need to acknowledge it? Take a moment. Father in heaven, thank you for being our God. Help us to be your people more and more. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for tuning in to our message podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. We would love the opportunity to connect with you more. We are located in Redwood City, California, and you can find us online at wearepcc.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.
Twitter by simply searching for We Are PCC. <laughs>